0: week you've got myself and nick how are you doing nick what's going on buddy happy to be here so we've got quite the quite the smorgasbord of uh movies coming up in this episode i think like these movies are all very different just in terms of feel and subject matter which is kind of nice i think it's gonna be pretty hit and miss there's a couple that uh, will probably be pretty pretty dicey um so let's just go ahead and jump into uh the big one I guess the big one uh, we're going to go with Eternals. question mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Eternals is a Marvel featuring probably the most obscure characters we've seen so far, I think. Probably,
1: think? I don't know. I mean, J- James Gunn did make a talking tree important to us, so I guess so. I feel like I, I mean, with like the Marvel characters, I never even try to be like, oh, I know. Th- I'm an expert. I read the comic books because I didn't, so I just kind of, I take these movies as I get them, so I literally have no idea who any of these people are at this point.
0: Um, yeah, so the Eternals. Um, vaguely Greek-sounding gods. Uh are derivatives of Greek names. That they're like, you know what? We're going to turn them into robot superheroes. <laughs> um, directed by Best, uh, best Picture winner uh, Chloe Zhao. Uh, and the first time we've had sunlight in a Marvel movie, it's pretty. It's pretty mind blowing, honestly. <laughs> there
1: she, she's uh, she's loving her golden hour uh, shots in this movie. I feel like that's like all of the cinematography. That was all of her notes for that. Um, yeah, this is a this is a really weird one, and I'm really interested to see what to see what you think about it because it's. I feel like. Eternals is I've been begging Marvel to be, take more chances in all these movies. I feel like I'm always like somewhat the voice of dissent on this podcast about Marvel stuff and how I want them to keep pushing and try new things and not be just boring shoot light into sky beam thing mm-hmm. in the third act of the movie um, and I hope and I well, I appreciate that this movie is not that. This movie is weird uh, both by its, oh, its own undoing and also just by actually it's design as well. So there's a lot of interesting things in it, but I don't think it works very well, but I hope the lesson that Marvel takes from this is okay. Now we can't do this anymore. we will just go back to what we were doing before and make all these cookie cutter movies. I hope they, I hope we can compartmentalize like the, f- the failures of this movie and what works and what doesn't, because I, I do appreciate the attempt here because there is a lot of weird shit in this movie and it's definitely different than all of, a lot of the Marvel movies we've seen. So, um, I admire a lot what's going on here but I, I just i can't call this a good movie it's it's so it's so all over the place
0: so this is the first rotten tomatoes rotten marvel movie and as everyone knows you only judge a movie based on a rotten Tomatoes score exactly um, that's the only <laughs> thing that matters so this one has been uh pretty divisive just critically um and i'm going to kind of echo a lot of what you just said i think it takes big swings um thematically but there's just so many eternals in this movie that i don't think anybody really lands completely because there's 10 main characters more or less uh and so there's there's certain ones that like i don't even know their names by the time the credits have rolled uh or like they'll just disappear for large chunks in the movie um like kingo once we kind of dive into the movie that really bothers me in the <laughs> heading into the yeah climax. we'll get to that <laughs> um yeah But I do, I like the swings it takes, um, but I think the sad thing is that my favorite part of this movie was a character who doesn't even appear on screen. He just says a line at the very end, um, and (laughs) then it's over.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my, well, not my favorite part, but I think the, the, the uh, role that kind of sets all of this up here or kind of sums it all up is just Kit Harrington being in three scenes at the <laughs> beginning and then he's on FaceTime and then he makes he makes a King Midas joke and then at the end of the movie he's like, oh, I should tell you, I actually have a pretty interesting backstory and then the movie's over. And then, so that's, he's just here for whatever's going on later and Blade and all that junk. Um, but yeah, this, this should have been a TV show. There is so much in this movie. And I feel like even with, like, the success of, like, Loki, which is one of the recent Marvel projects that I really like, I think Loki's really cool. Uh, And just like like you said, there's 50 main characters in this movie, and this movie's already 2 hours and 40 minutes, and it's cramming so much and bouncing across so many timelines and going back and forth to ancient Mesopotamia, then coming back to present day, then for some reason going back thousands (laughs) of years again for no reason... Like the editing is all over the place, and they're they're jumping to all these different times, and yeah, for a lot of like large swaths swaths of this movie, I have no idea what's happening. What well, I can kind of understand, but you really, you really have to squint to see what they're going for, um, and yeah, it's it really just does a disservice to all these characters. Who I think, in a different movie or a TV show, I think a lot of these characters do work a little better. But it's just yeah, it's just it's so much. I don't know how you even accomplish it. I, it from what it sounds like it's it sounds like the production in this movie was really tough um, it's well known that when kevin feige visits the set of one of these movies then that that's when there's problems on it and he was <laughs> on the set for this movie quite a bit because they were just juggling so much and that's not to say like anyone was being like difficult or anything like that it just seems like this was just a really hard task to make this movie um and it kind of it comes across that way it's just it's just all over the place and There are like little moments that I really, really like and character choices that I think are really cool. Um, But yeah, it's just all that's just kind of drowned out by just so much noise.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to agree again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let's jump into spoilers. Let's do some spoiler stuff. So uh, I I first off want to say the best thing about this movie is that I will never have to walk into a movie theater and hear the words Fall Collection IKEA. Ever again, <laughs> that part of my life is over, and I'm so relieved.
1: I love Brian Terry Henry, but that's a that's a tough line to have to deliver by um, him. He, he's such a good actor, but that was just yeah.
0: But talking cool. about the humor in this movie, I this movie wasn't very funny. Like even when they're going for laughs, anyone that wasn't Kingo or uh, his valet's name is uh, Baron, I think. Um, I I wasn't humored at all. But I did like that this wasn't like constantly quipping and we had characters that weren't just, you know, some kind of carbon copy of Iron Man somehow, um, which I really liked because even with Black Widow and with Shang-Chi, we still kind of had that same character type and just tone to the movie. I think Eternals does feel really different than anything we've seen movie wise from the MCU. But I think overall, um, the MCU did some pretty good TV this year. And the movies have felt really flat in comparison Black Widow. And even though I liked Shang-Chi, uh, you know, I both kind of have the same problems with the back half of that movie. Um, and then Eternals kind of completes the trifecta of not living up to the hype. So maybe Spider-Man will turn things around. Um, yeah, maybe. But it's just, yeah, it's, it's really paled to the longer form, more intricate, like personal stuff they've been doing with Loki and with uh, WandaVision and with The Falcon and The Winter Soldier, even.
1: Yeah. Like it's, I think this movie's really interesting in cause what they're going for, you know, is they're basically, they're all these eternals. They've been sent here to fight these deviants, that, that which are just awful. I thought we were past the C- I thought we were past the CGI dog thing, like the <laughs> demon dog thing in superhero movies, but I guess we're not, but those were just like the worst. But, um, yeah, like they're here to, to fight off the deviants and they've been sent by this big celestial thingy. Um, and so the entire movie is basically them questioning their own god, which I think is really fascinating. You know, that's like an actual an idea that I don't think Marvel's ever tried to even approach in their other movies. It's just been a lot of quipping, which I do like in a lot of instances. But that's something really interesting, right? There's something almost spiritual to that, and I think Chloe Zhao is very much like a. If you've seen The Rider, even land she's a very spiritual filmmaker. It's kind of she's kind of like Terrence Malick, where it's like there's a lot of. Blades of grass whispering wisping in the wind, kind of thing, kind of that, that kind of feel to her movies, and I admire those approaches to stuff. But yeah, like you said, like when people do try to start making jokes, it just feels weird. Like even <laughs> Kumail as Kingo, who I liked, it just feels like he's in an entirely different movie than Richard Madden just being like somewhat <laughs> depressed and stone and like stone faced the entire time, you know. And I just. It's just it's, there's just so many things that are all over the place, and I think one of the biggest issues of this movie is, uh, well, one, the story is incomprehensible. what that's that's a whole nother issue. But um, just the I don't really buy the Gemma Chan and Richard Madden central relationship very much, which is weird because I think they're both really charismatic actors, especially Richard Madden. Like if you've seen him in anything, like
0: yeah, either like Game Man. of Thrones,
1: <laughs> yeah, Rocket Man. He's just the most charming dude ever, and, and here he's. I mean, he's supposed to be robotic, but he's, like, really overplaying it to a point where, like, you really just don't feel much. And part of it is also because of the way the plot works. You know, how it's kind of... it's it has its own reveals that it's waiting to show you until there's 30 minutes left in this five-hour movie. So he has to, like, play up this robotic sense of him. You don't really get a sense of who he is until the movie's almost over. But, yeah, it just... like Richard Madden and Gemma and Chan's character, they just don't feel very well drawn. Like, I just... I don't really... Can you, can you explain what Cersei's uh, like powers are? Like I don't really know what she is as a character after, <laughs> spending, after spending so much time with her. That's a pretty big problem, right?
0: Yeah, and I think there were just some editing things that made um, Icarus, Richard Madden's character, feel just really confused by like, who is he? What does he actually want? What is he actually feeling like? The big reveal for him that he's the one that killed uh, Ajax. Is Salma Hayek's character, I believe, yeah, um, comes right before the surprise reveal when uh, Cersei and all the other Eternals find out. And I was like, why would they not drop the surprise reveal first? Because it really tries to like play on this tension where all the Eternals are like, "Whoa, what?" Um, but as the audience, we've already known he's a bad guy for like 15 minutes at that point. Um, so there's just like no weight to his decision. I don't. I don't really understand what any of his motivations in this movie were to begin with, because it's like, um, you know, they're there to to birth another celestial, and he knows that. Sam Hayek knows that and nobody else does. Um, and then the ultimate choice is like, well, do do we potentially create billions of lives, or do we save the how many people are on Earth? Like Eight billion people. Um, and so I think, and I think that in itself could be an interesting question, but you just you never really see these characters or understand the way that they're trying to wrestle with it. And especially like Kingo, like when it comes time for him to kind of wait and he's like, well, I'm going to sit this one out. And then he just leaps, Like just straight yeah. up leaves. <laughs>
1: he's just not in the third act of this movie. And it's so weird. Cause they're, set, they're setting up that, they have to set up that weird Unimind thing uh-huh. to like, to fight against the celestial. So you would figure that they would need him to do that. Right. But he's just, <laughs> But he's just not there, so it's like, wait, what is happening? And the other weird thing too is where at the end, where um, like Gemma Chan, she stops the Celestial and like freezes it, and then Icarus is just like, I'm sad now. I'm gonna go fly into the sun because <laughs> my name's Icarus. I guess I guess that's just what I have to do, right? <laughs> like it, I don't like it. it he just t- he's like, all right, I'm gonna just go suicidal and just go into the sun now. That, now that we've done this, it's just such a weird. Like, there's just, like, that connective tissue. It's like, why are you doing this? What are you doing here? And it's just very, very bizarre. And, and there's there's a lot of other things interesting. Like, I really like Barry Keoghan in this as Druig. Like, he's yeah. he's doing the... And that's one thing I do admire of Chloe Zhao is, like, the, a lot of the actors are trying different performance styles. Like, Barry Keoghan is, like, acting like he's still on one of the 50 A24 movies that he's been in <laughs> over the years. Where he's, like, really mumbly... Um, and just kind of like you, you really have no idea what his motivations are for most of the movie, um, and he was really captivating even when he's just kind of just saying regular dialogue. And I like him. I love his relationship with um, oh, what's the the deaf uh, oh, Lauren Ridloff uh, Makari. Yeah, I thought their relationship was really warm because they just it's just like something where they were probably just like work like playing on set where they're like like putting their arms around each other or like snuggling There's like a lot of like non vocal work in their relationship that works really well and same with them um, i really liked the the friendship or not even i don't even know what it was but the friendship between Gil- gilgamesh and Thena, mm-hmm. where it, it you don't really get you don't really get a sense that there's like a romantic connection there but gilgamesh is like i respect you so much that even though your brain is going haywire i'm gonna help you throughout the rest of our lives together it's kind of sweet you know it's like a really cute kind of relationship they have there and there's those are two things you really don't see in marvel movies and i liked i really liked those i kind of honestly just want their own kind of movies but you know that would never happen (laughs) but um so yeah it's just it's it's very weird there's like a few really cool things i do like and then, then you have one of the scars guards who voices the demon dog and it's very weird right so <laughs> <It's>...
0: <laughs> i feel like you could have cut the deviants out of this movie entirely and it wouldn't oh, have absolutely changed. like because at a certain point they're they drive like the very first act a little bit because they're like oh the deviants are back let's go assemble the the super team and, and take them all out But then, they're pretty useless. Like, they don't even contribute to the final battle at all. Like, they go into a cave, Angelina Jolie fights them, kills one of them, and then, like, that's it. Like, they have no impact on the story. And at a certain point, like, the Celestials have taken over, Icarus has taken over as the bad guy. I'm like, what's the point of these deviants? Like, at all. And there's, like, there's almost the argument where uh, the one that becomes sentient, the, the Skarsgard deviant, um, like, almost tries to nudge at the fact that he's like hey we're still life too are we worth protecting and they're like nah just stabbing.
1: yeah it's it's so true like there it seems like they were doing that where it's like we both we all deserve to live and why are we fighting when your celestial was just like i made I fucked up so go like kill those things it's like <laughs> what are we doing here that's kind of, yeah like you're right like they really don't add anything i feel like after there's like another way you could rewrite this movie where it's just they're there for the first act and that's when you get the reveal that Icarus has different intentions and then you can actually have them go back and forth with each other and like play out their different like viewpoints and make it a little more interesting. But yeah, then you just have terrible CGI for (laughs) the entire movie. It's just, it's just not pleasant to look at. It's very, it's very, it's just the demon dogs suck. Like I'm just, it's like one of my least favorite things I've seen in in a superhero movie in a really long time.
0: So how about the uh Sprite Icarus uh quasi relationship? I feel like that's something that felt left field to me because it's like mid act two, they're like, Oh, by the way, Sprite loves Icarus. And then yeah. it's like So here's the thing. I understand from a production standpoint why you could not put like a seven how old is this kid? Like twelve? Fifteen year old in a like relationship that. with Richard Madden. So I understand why the movie wouldn't do that but from the fact that they're both immortal robots the idea that they can't be together makes no sense at all
1: yeah it's a weird thing where it's like i always i thought she was like an adult trapped in that 15-year-old body where she has her like her knowledge and her brain is like an adult but she's stuck in that body that's what it seemed like she was getting at in like a few throw throwaway lines which which i thought were interesting but it's like yeah you have this this weird, like, child, adult, like, being. It's like, that's a weird idea. Let's, let's play with that. But it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm in love with Icarus. And it's like, wait, why? Why are you? Why? <laughs> so it's just, rooting. it really is just, it's scenes that kind of connect. But it almost feels like there's there should have been, like, a three-hour-plus cut of this movie where you actually understand the relationships between all these people. Like, it really it really just needs to be a TV show because there's just so much crap in here that they probably have to cut out a lot of connective tissue to make it, like, like be able to put it in theaters.
0: Release the police output
1: <laughs> It's weird, too, because I don't know if you noticed this, but did you see in the credits, she gets writing credit twice? Yeah, so that... I I've never seen that of, before.
0: One of the times she was with a partner, I believe. So it's I'm trying to pull up the writing credits, So that means like she wrote a draft and then she wrote another draft, but somebody else was also working on it.
1: Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that before. I thought that was really weird, but yeah. So if you include her twice, there's five screenwriters on this movie. So yeah. that probably adds to a lot of the confusion that ha- happens with this. Cause it feels like the deviant stuff is like a leftover from a first draft. And they were like, "What if we make this a morality play about?" It's kind of like Ozymandias in like Watchmen, where it's like to kill millions to save billions, but on like a grander scale, kind of thing. (laughs) Um, And then sometimes I felt like they tried to pivot towards that, and then then you just have Bill Skarsgård just doing VO for a few days, and they're like, "We gotta (laughs) keep this in here, right?" (laughs) So it's very it's very odd. Who is your favorite Eternal? I guess is the is a good question.
0: I gotta go with Kingo. Uh, I like Kumil Nanjiani. He was really funny. Um, I just like all of his scenes. His little uh, laser fingers. Uh, that I never really <laughs> understand. <laughs> uh, it's kind of
1: funny because it's the sound effect is like the pew pew, <laughs> and it made me laugh really really hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, what about it's. Yours? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's a tough one. I feel like I'm connected the most to gilgamesh because i really liked how he like took care of thena and i also i just really like brian tyree heddery as an actor and i felt like his storyline which has some baffling choices with like the hiroshima sequence which was just so weird where he's that's no that's another thing with this movie because like it's jumping to so many things like basically he says he thinks he's to blame for Hiroshima because he gave man the like technology and things like that. But it's, it's literally just like a two second scene of him just in the rubble at Hiroshima with like just kneeling in it. And then it cuts away to something else. And it's so like tasteless. I really like that really turned me off to the whole movie, but other, like I just think he's a really good actor. So I really liked a lot of his other stuff. And I thought his relationship with his husband and his kid was actually really endearing. And I actually cared about them in a lot of for whatever reason. But yeah. um, And, and Druid too. I, I, I really liked them as well.
0: I think this was the first, uh, you know, the, the first gay character joke gets brought up with every Disney movie. <laughs> but yeah. this was the first time where they actually had some kind of impact on the story. Um, and so I was like, wow, I'm actually invested in this person and what's going on in their life. Rather than just like, oh, here's a cutaway of a, a little peck on the cheek.
1: Yeah, isn't it amazing when you write good characters it works better in a movie? It's just, it's unbelievable how that works sometimes. Um, Yeah, it's, that's why I I do feel weirdly attached to this movie in some ways, because I think Chloe Zhao, the movie she wanted to make is this, like, very interpersonal, like, really loving and warm character piece that's in a Marvel movie, you know? Because there's a lot of really warm connections between a lot of the characters that I felt, like, oddly, like... I was like, oh, that's really touching a lot of the times. And I think a lot of the actors are great. Um, so like, there's a lot of like beats where I was like, I'm kind of invested in this movie just because I really liked that. That was a really interesting moment. Those two characters had that I don't really see in these kind of movies, but then, yeah. And then you get to the action, which is a lot of the time, like just really bad CGI or the, the plot beats just like are flying all over the place. So it kind of gets all those little nice moments just kind of get lost between all of it. But I don't know. I just, I I really like Chloe Zhao, and I hope she doesn't get like, like her career isn't like damaged because of whatever the fallout of this movie is. Because I think she's super
0: talented. Yeah, and I feel like the audience reactions to this were positive enough, and it's a Marvel movie. It'll make enough money that hopefully she won't get like booted into oblivion like the people that directed Captain Marvel. Um, yeah yeah, Bowden and Fleck haven't
1: they don't even have like another project coming up like an indie or anything like that
0: it's crazy yeah they just got dropped from or I guess they never got picked up for the Marvels which is pretty odd because we're at a point in the MCU where like everybody that that does a first movie is making a second one, and it was like nah
1: yeah Um, very very strange
0: but I feel like she also still has the uh, best picture best director yeah i hope so
1: and it's also just so weird i still cannot get over the fact that this is the person who did the rider and (laughs) nomad land and a bunch of other really small and delicate movies and now she's doing this 300 million dollar goliath thing that's just it's just it's just insane to me but um yeah it's just uh there's a lot there's a lot of little stuff i like in it and um weirdly excited about the two stingers which i guess we should we can talk about but um yeah it's just I don't know. It's there's a lot of the stuff that's it's weirdly captivating, but it just it's I I don't know it, it, it's not good. It's not a good movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, let's get into the stingers. Uh, Harry Styles is in the MCU as uh, Thanos's brother named Star Fox. Not the sure. Star Fox. Uh, I was disappointed. I was expecting like Star Fox from Nintendo sixty four to just <laughs> barrel roll in there but I guess we can take the lesser of two Star Foxes. Um, so I don't really understand how any of that works, because Thanos very much doesn't look like an Eternal. Um, mm-hmm. I did like Patton Oswald as a little like teleporting troll. I thought he was kind of funny. Yeah, uh, this is
1: a drunken troll, right? Yeah, it was good.
0: And I think now that they've kind of established the idea of Celestials and Eternals and just like the bigger cosmic Marvel universe, I think the inevitable... Eternals two, uh, they can't even just call it like Eternal Eternals with an S. Like Eternals would be a great sequel. Uh, mm, good, but very like good. Eternals, is, uh, but I think they'll have a much more streamlined <laughs> Eternals two. Um, I I think the setup was pretty promising, at least plot wise, to be like, okay, this is gonna be a lot more focused second time.
1: And it feels like, I mean, with that stinger, it would be like an entirely different tone. Which would be weird. Which, I mean, if you're Marvel and you say like, oh, this movie clearly wasn't that successful, I mean, you have to pivot in some ways. And so maybe that means they go back to the more jokey stuff. Which, you know, it's, yeah, it's tiring sometimes, but when it's done well, it's done well. Guardians movies are really lovely. Um, it works it works. Really, yeah, it works It works, you know. So, and I like Harry Styles. I like his music. Uh, I thought he was good in Dunkirk as that, as that douchebag soldier. <laughs> I, think, I think, and he's in that... Uh, the uh, the the Olivia Wilde movie with Florence Pugh and don't really darling so he's in that so he's getting picked up for a lot of stuff so he has got he's got something I guess and apparently from what I understand the Star Fox character is like this big like sex symbol in the Marvel universe he's, like, he's played that way
0: he's like their version of Cupid from what Wikipedia is still so he's so like I like, think like that makes God sense Arrows right is Aphrodite's son, I think, if I remember my mythology, and that's who he's based on. So that would count. Okay.
1: Sense. Yeah, I feel like that that's pretty good casting then, so why not? Who cares? Let's do it. <laughs> Let's see what happens.
0: I mean, I would have picked Paul Walter Hauser, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> doing his Cockney accent from Koela. I just, that'd, I just that'd be great. him in every movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Why isn't he I feel like every other actor is in the MCU. I feel like it's it's overdue at this point. He's in the, he's in the Disney lineup Ooh, after Cruella.
0: He could be in Fantastic Four.
1: As what? The Doctor the Doom? Thing. Sure, i uh, would be good. I think
0: he'd be a funny thing.
1: That'd be pretty good. I'm ready. Come on, Paul uh, Walserhauser.
0: Let, let me pitch this to Feige real quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, But then the second one was the one that I was like, oh yeah, because uh, A, more Kit Harrington because he really doesn't do a whole lot. Like, this whole movie is just to set up whatever movie he's actually in. Yeah, uh, I cannot
1: stress enough how dumbfounded I was when I was like, oh, he's just on FaceTime and he's not going to be in this movie again. It's just, it's unbelievable.
0: Uh, But it sets up him and it sets up Mahershala Ali's Blade, which that was, I mean, that's kind of sad because that was my favorite part about this movie was the guy who says <laughs> one line off screen. But I was like, oh yeah.
1: Well, you know, you left you left on a high note, made you feel good coming out of the theater. That's all that Marvel needs, right? You, yeah, you, uh, you didn't you, you didn't hate your time with the actual movie. Then they keep you enticed with the the stingers, and you just you keep going on the hamster wheel. You're coming back next time
0: because uh, Blade starts filming next year, and this was like where Herschel one Best Actor, and then was like, just showed up to Marvel and was like, "Hey, we're making a Blade movie." And Kevin Feige was
1: like, <laughs> "Sure." That sounds great. Same as uh, Remy Malek, just winning his Oscar then just going off and being the weird poison merchant villain guy in uh, Lucifer- Their Time to Die. Saf- yeah. <laughs> Lucifer Satan. <laughs> the, Karen- the the villain from Their Time to Die. <laughs>
0: uh, But yeah, that is Eternals. Um, But yeah, I feel so where would you rank this among the three Marvel movies so far this year? Um, it's probably, it's
1: definitely last, you know, I don't, I don't hate it. I think there's a lot of re- really interesting things in it. I appreciate we, there was all the jokes where it's like Kevin, the Chloe Zhao got Kevin Feige to actually shoot outside. Huh. And then Kevin Feige was going crazy about like, oh my God, she's doing amazing <laughs> stuff with this movie. She's actually shooting outside. But there is like an interesting tactile feel to this movie in a lot of scenes and i feel like that's from like her insistence on doing that and so i liked the when, when there's not like the the fighting scenes which are done by the secondary directors anyway at marvel i think there's a lot of like really well-staged scenes that actually happen in the real world which was nice um but yeah it's just it just doesn't really work that well um i'd probably then i'd probably go black widow which is a movie i really just forgot existed until just now that you mentioned it um, and then I would, and then I would do Shang Chi, just because <laughs> um, just Tony Long is just a god, and so that's that's all I need for an, for a movie to go well.
0: Yeah, I would actually probably put Black Widow last because Black Widow I think is more coherent, but it's really really basic.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's far more it's far more fun to actually talk about Eternals than Black Widow, right?
0: Yeah, Black Widow is like they show up, they do some spy stuff uh joke 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 more spy stuff superhero landing and then black yeah. widow is alive but also dead <laughs> and then Florence pew hooray <laughs> <laughs> yeah i agree uh yeah so that is that is eternals next one we have we have the big one which you know the uh spider-man trailer drops in a couple days so is every get, movie for you just Toby the big confirmed. one Oh, there's two big ones. We've got House of Gucci and then Spider-Man. But, uh, <laughs> House of Gucci is number one. I think Spider-Man is like number three on my list. But if, you know, Tobey Maguire is in it, just immediate number one. I don't care if it's a bad movie. Just give me more of uh, Emo Peter. And then what's
1: the next one? Like The Tender Bar? Is that the other big one? The what one? The ten- is, that- is the other big one The Tender Bar? Or... Uh... Parallel Mothers, no?
0: <laughs> it's actually Ma 2. <laughs> I hadn't heard about that one. That's great. <laughs> they haven't told anybody it's coming out, but trust <laughs> me, it's, it's on its way.
1: Great. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Um, <laughs> but uh, let, let's go ahead and move on to Spencer. So um, I went into this movie not knowing anything about the royal family, um, and I'm pleased to say that that didn't really impact anything. Um, uh, it's like I don't know. Do Do you know a lot about the royal family? Like I I vaguely know who Diana is, and I know that you know the 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 common folk uh liked her, but I I really did not know a ton about her going into this.
1: Yeah, from the two and a half episodes of The Crown that I've watched, I know a lot about uh the royal family. Um, yeah, no, I I, I yeah, I know nothing. That's just that's not that's out of my view. I literally know nothing i just know that princess diana is no longer with us that's really about it
0: <laughs> so the, the one thing i needed to know about charles and diana's relationship to understand this movie was fortunately the butt of a joke in the first austin powers movie and so i was like okay, that's hilarious i, I remember <laughs> <at>. <laughs> it, all,
1: it all comes back to austin powers in the end that's for sure
0: um so spencer i have seen you have not that is correct right mm-hmm. yep um, I mean, there's not really anything major to spoil in this movie because it's just uh, Diana in a, a rich house for three days. Does Harry um, Styles show up at the end of this one, too? Unless there was a post-credit scene. Uh, just a baffling choice to put a post-credit scene in a, a two-hour movie about Princess Diana. <laughs> <laughs> <The> <laughs> uh, Princess Diana, Diana 2, Spencer 2 coming next year. But I went into this movie um, pretty blind. I did the same with the French Dispatch, where like, I knew what they were, but I hadn't, other than maybe like the first trailer, I hadn't seen anything. Um, and I really, really liked this movie a lot. Um, and I know that's going to be a hot take uh, compared to all the five stars I see it getting. But I, <laughs> I really like this movie. It's, it's very slow, um, and I saw this I say late at night, it was like nine o'clock when the showing started so it wasn't super late um but i was like man i'm probably gonna be tired i was kind of on the fence about it and even though it is a very slow like very um deliberate um shortly paced movie i was just sucked into it um and i think kristen stewart really carries a movie that without the right actress in the lead role um this movie could be an absolute train wreck because um She's having to carry a lot of these scenes as a one-woman show. just like It's just her and the camera, and then whatever activity she's in the middle of. And I feel like it could have been very easy to overact and try and chew up the scenery and, and keep the energy going. Um, but just kind of her awkwardness in the role, um, I think, really makes Diana a really interesting character, um, and a character that, even though like she's a rich person complaining about the responsibilities of being in the most powerful family in England. Um, I think it could have easily been very snooty or like, oh, poor her, go buy an Lexus. Um, But Kristen Stewart does such a good job of grounding that, that you really buy into the struggle that she's having, just with the pressures of being in the spotlight and having to go through all these customs and, and follow tradition and just fit in with the family. And there's also a lot of really interesting discourse on the way that like she is being treated as a woman um, and as a commoner um, compared to her husband who was actively in the middle of an affair that the whole world knew about. And just like the scrutiny still being on her instead of being on, you know, the guy that was cheating, uh, which I thought was a really interesting dynamic to it. um, But yeah, Spencer, very good movie.
1: Yeah. I'm a big, uh, I like Pablo Lorraine a lot as a director and, uh, well, the the screenwriter of this movie is Stephen, Stephen Knight, who uh, has done a few good movies, but he also did Serenity, which was uh, quite a trip when that ever came out. One of the most insane movies I've ever seen. But yeah, I like Pablo Lorraine quite a bit, and he's this movie's getting compared a lot to his, to his Jackie, which came out a few years ago, the Natalie Portman, Jackie Kennedy movie. Um, and he also did Emma, which is a movie that I don't quite connect with, but I can't deny that I'm mesmerized the entire time, but he loves these, like these melodramas about like central woman figures just in peril. You know, if you, you, you have Jackie, Emma, and now Spencer, uh, it's all movies about them and just there are in the center of the stage. So yeah, I, I definitely really, I really, really want to check this one out. Cause I also really love Kristen Stewart in general and what you alluded to earlier. She's just, so good at kind of just like you said like that awkwardness like just not even it's like the understated anxiety that she feels in a lot of her roles are just she's just really terrific she's she's an amazing actress of like saying so much without ever speaking a line of dialogue i just think she's so talented
0: yeah um shout out to pablo lorraine and his one word titles it was like his longest title is two words (laughs)
1: Yeah, then yeah, Naruto is in there too, right? He just loves no. he loves his uh, Fuga. Yeah, yeah right. there is a
0: movie just called No.
1: <laughs> Gotta love it. He's just uh, he's a simple
0: man. I also really like Timothy Spall in this movie. Uh, he plays, I think his name is Gregory. Yeah,
1: I think it's I'm Alistair Gregory. Yeah. yeah, he
0: has he has some kind of fancy British title. I don't know what it means. Um, but he, uh, so he's basically like the butler almost and also like the security lead guy um he does like he's basically like the every uh or not the every man but he does whatever needs done in the royal household that they're at um and he's just like michael myersing his way into every scene where he's just like looming around a doorway or just like standing there breathing behind someone And uh, it brings a lot of tension to like this old butler who's just trying to do his job uh, but also kind of being a dick about it. And then Diana, who is, you know, and as this movie, it blurs fantasy and reality a lot. So there's a lot of scenes where Diana will do something really reckless when um, you're like, is this really happening? Yes or no? And that won't be revealed till later on. Um, and they really use Gregory to kind of build up the tension um, around those moments uh, because he does kind of get a glimpse into that recklessness um, that drives her. Um, although he is still pretty unforgiving, uh, as basically everyone in the royal family is um, throughout this situation.
1: Yeah, it, it sounds like this movie plays more like a horror movie than anything else, rather than like your stereotypical biopics or anything like that. Did you did you get that? Because it seems like weirdly, I've seen The Shining thrown out as a comp for this movie yep. quite a bit. So does that does that track?
0: I don't know if I'd go that far um there's certainly and they're very vague about what is real and what isn't when they do push into kind of the fantasy world or when they do kind of let diana jump into a delusion um which I, which i think is a strength of that movie there's no formal line where you're like oh psych this was a dream you just have to catch up with that when they do make the reveal um and more so always later on But it's a very suffocating movie. Like you just, you can feel the pressure just kind of around Diana in this really. It's, I mean, it's a palace. It's a pretty big space, but it still feels really suffocating and really small. And there's a, a, motif throughout the movie, um, with this pearl necklace that she has, and you can really feel like Kristen Stewart just like suffocating in this necklace. It's just, I mean, it's a pearl necklace. It's really tight, tight around her neck, um, and so it there are. Horror elements, I guess, but it's more like suspense and tension that it is uh, any kind of like thriller or horror elements that right. I would associate with The Shining. More of like a psychological thing than
1: anything else. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Like yeah, I really, I, yeah, I like Ma exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really, I really want to see this movie. I, I've been looking forward to it for a really long time because I feel like ever since the first trailer came out, it's been Kristen Stewart for best actress ever since right so I I, I mean she's one of my favorite actresses
0: so I I can't wait to see it yeah and I mean she really does carry this movie because there are long sequences where it's just her in in the room uh, where you don't have any other characters butting in or like adding commentary it's just her having to process all of these bigger ideas just through what she's able to do with her face and props that's awesome yeah shout out to acting
1: Shout out to acting. You you keep doing it once again and again.
0: Uh, but yeah, that is Spencer. I would would recommend it. Um, you know, I whether or not this thing will be a financial success, I don't know. It's got a twenty million dollar budget, sitting about six point one million right now. So it might be kind of an uphill climb, but I'm sure the uh, the Academy Award hype will will push it over the edge.
1: Yeah, this is always. Even though I haven't seen it. So this movie's always struck me as it probably won't contend anywhere besides Kristen Stewart and Best Actress. It, probably, it seems like it's just it's a little too odd to really fully contend in other places. Maybe production design and, or cinematography and stuff like that. But that's always the kind of what, what how it, this movie struck me from afar.
0: Actually, you know what this movie reminded me of the most? And not just because it's about Royals uh but the favorite because there's similar themes playing out i think the favorite is much more comedic and much more um like lively in its fantasy um cuz you know obviously it's not pretending to be a real story about princess diana uh but there's just a lot of similar motifs um with uh emma stone's character in that movie that i was like okay yeah there's similarity here no fisheye like <laughs> no fisheye lenses damn that's tough <laughs> I, I hate to break it to all the people that were really hoping to watch this movie for the fisheye angles there's none <laughs> <laughs> you've disappointed a lot of people um, <laughs> so that is Spencer and then we'll move up to Netflix's biggest supposed release ever and that is the much anticipated movie that I first learned about two weeks ago Red Notice, <laughs> which I did not see but you were kindly enough to take the bullet for me.
1: Yeah, out of the movies that well, only one of us saw, you won this week, because <laughs> Red Notice just sucks. It sucks so hard. It's it's directed by, uh, what's the dude's name? Marshall Thurber Rawson? Rawson, Th- what's his name? Rawson Marshall oh. Thurber. Rawson Marshall Thurber, got it. Um, He was the dude who directed The Rock and Skyscraper, which is the most average movie. I think i've seen in the past five years that movie just kind of works it's there you, you get what you see saw in the tin it's not too amazing but you know it's fine it's die hard with the rock and that's kind of about it um so this is the rock with i guess one leg right so i guess we're now uh, he these these guys are boys because we have we have thurber and the rock teaming up again mm-hmm. And this time we also have Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot in the cast too, which is really cool. Um, on its face, but yeah, this is a this is an art heist movie. Which you think, all right, The Rock, Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot, in an art heist movie that sounds pretty good, you know. Um, but no, this movie is is not good at all. And it's basically uh, The Rock is this FBI guy who's tracking Ryan Reynolds, and then they both have to team up through all shenanigans to beat Gal Gadot, who's another art thief. So that's, that's basically it. They're just kind of playing about back and forth off all each other the entire movie. And it just really is not fun at all. It's it's really just an excuse for Ryan Reynolds to just like improv the entire time. And I've seen a few interviews with Reynolds where he made the joke where he's like, Netflix lost a lot of money on me just by joking on set and um, obviously he's joking but you really get the sense that he's just coming up with whatever and um, Thurber, the director is basically just like keep going like keep saying things kind of like the like when Melissa McCarthy movies go bad and you can just see that she's just like really straining to kind of come up with Fun little quips to say, and it seems like that's just Ryan Reynolds' entire character. Honestly, it was pretty annoying. Like, there's a few, like it's Ryan Reynolds, like there'll be there's a fun like there's some smarmy like one-liners that he gets off, and it's like, oh, that was unexpected and funny, but it's just he's just really obviously like he's just trying to come up with whatever to kind of try to save this not really fun script. And then I just like, I've never really thought The Rock or Gal Gadot are super funny people, like super funny actors. I think The Rock is charming and he can deliver his dialogue pretty good, but I don't, I would never say he's like an amazing comedian personally. Um, So he's, I think he's really struggling the entire time to keep up with Ryan Reynolds. I feel like they're just on different wavelengths the entire time and he seems just kind of wooden the entire movie. And then this is, and then for Gal Gadot, this is just not the movie for her. I just, I've never, I've never, thought she was the best actress you know i think she's re- per- like very well used as a wonder woman and she has that kind of she has a really good personality i think it's just as a as a as a person and as a performer for that kind of for that kind of role as that like larger than life godlike superhero but here's like she it's like her role she's like the big villain and she's like trying to ham it up and do one-liners along with ryan reynolds and she it's just not that's just not her speed you know that's just not what she's best at. So it's just a lot of just pretty bland back and forths, and then the script is just super lame. And then it's it's one of those like lame thief movies where at the end there's five different double crosses where it's like, no, I was playing you the entire time. And it's like, no, but I was playing you the entire time. And they do the thing where like the reveals, then they go back and show like footage from like a thing where it was like like this is how the double cross happened but you would have never known that like it's just like a lame thing that the the film just kind of just kept from you in the end so they have to have some kind of suspense throughout it's just it's just not a very good movie you know it's it's it seems like it was like a pretty penny to make this thing and from the way it ends they're definitely going to try to do more of these but it's just it just doesn't really work work very well it's it's just don't know just like tired quips and then ryan reynolds makes a joke about indiana jones because they're in one time there's they're in a tomb so he's just humming he's just humming like the indiana jones theme when they're down there and it's like okay got it cool um so it's just it's just it's not very good it's got some i like that there's a fun action sequence in the first act with like some scaffolding that ryan reynolds is jumping off of and things like that and so that was kind of fun, and, and I was excited. But the rest of the movie is just kind of, it's kind of lame. I feel like that's kind of par for the course for what Netflix originals are at this point, where they're just kind of, ooh, we have these stars. What could this be? And it's just not a very good script. So <laughs> that's Red Notice. It's
0: there. They uh, did do an interesting thing for the marketing of this movie. I don't know if you heard about that.
1: Not at all. Please tell me.
0: They, uh, so Ryan Reynolds was slated to appear on Jimmy Kimmel Live and Will Ferrell was slated to appear on Fallon. And so without, like, announcing it, they showed up in each other's place and then answered questions about the movie the other one was in. (laughs) That's pretty funny. So Will Ferrell's, like, sitting in the chair in Star Wars pajamas pretending to be Ryan Reynolds, and then Ryan Reynolds is like, I'm only answering questions about, like, whatever show Will Ferrell was there to promote.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious. There There was one thing, speaking of promotion in this movie, that really bothered me and i feel like the rock is the like everything you see on his instagram is like look i have my teramana tequila which i've actually had and it's pretty no free ads but it's a pretty good tequila um, but like there's one scene at a bar where it's like people can't see me cuz this is a podcast but like the bartender is pouring like the the tequila in his glass and like the label's right at the camera and it's like oh cool he's drinking his tequila that's great he's shilling his own product cool and then there's a scene earlier on where Um, Ryan Reynolds was drinking gin and it's like his aviation gin. It's just like right in the middle of the frame. It's like with the label, like at the camera, it's right there. It's like, guys, you, you didn't have to spend $200 million to, to market your, your liquors. like, you guys can, you can do better than this. Like, what are you doing? So that was really annoying, um, too. So it's just, yeah, it just feels like this was like, it's kind of like, you remember there's like a bunch of movies in the 90s where it's like, what if we just put all of these famous people together in an action movie and just see what happens? And a lot of them aren't particularly good. This is like, this feels like this is, yeah, like this feels like this is kind of like a, like, like another, like they were trying to like, hark back to that where it's like, we have all these stars, we have the star power in this movie. This is great. But it's just, the script is just really, it's just not good. And it's, it's pretty lame, honestly. And then there's, (laughs) there's a few there's an annoying cameo at the end which i won't spoil but yeah this is this is kind of this is kind of one of the it's not kevin hart um but uh yeah it's i don't know and this is like a this is such a total netflix movie where it's just something you have on while you're doing laundry or something like that and then maybe you like one of the lines that ryan reynolds said and you get a chuckle and then you go back to folding stuff that's it then it's two hours and you're done. Then you move on with your life. So it's just, yeah, it's just, it, did, it didn't work. Didn't work what, much at all.
0: <laughs> so they're all just trying to chase that Clooney money after he made a billion dollars on his. I think he had a tequila too, right?
1: Oh, yeah, Casamigos. Casamigos so I was trying is really to, good.
0: Just trying no to free ads. <laughs> no
1: free ads, but yeah, Casamigos. Very good stuff.
0: They're just trying to chase the clune dog. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's. I wish they wouldn't in their movies but that's yeah it's uh, it's kind of one of those big shrug movies that I don't really want to think about anymore
0: <laughs> uh, don't worry we won't talk about it uh, <laughs> we will round out uh, this podcast though with the French Dispatch um, which depending on where you live might be a few weeks old um, I know like for me it didn't open up until this week um, I don't know t- have, has it been playing around you for very long?
1: I think it's been out for like a week or two around here, but I didn't have a chance to see it until this week. So interesting.
0: Yeah, I uh double featured this shortly before Spencer. Um I'm just gonna tip my hand. I like Spencer a lot more. Um and I I just I couldn't get into the French dispatch. You know, I've I've never been a huge Wes Anderson guy. Um I do like I haven't seen a movie of his and I'm like, that sucked. um. But this, at least so far, has definitely been my least favorite of the Wes catalog that I've seen.
1: Tough. I really like this movie, like a lot. Like, I really like this movie. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel like Wes Anderson is kind of a more divisive director than I realized because I feel like, I mean, when I... I I think my first movie I saw of his was Grand Budapest because I was like whatever how I was like fourteen getting into movies or whatever when that came out or something like that I wasn't fourteen when would that movie come out twenty thirteen it's like ten years ago twenty
0: fourteen yeah all right so ago? I was like so
1: I was like sixteen or whatever I didn't really know much about movies I really liked that movie but yeah it's he is kind of one of those guys where you're kind you're kind of in or you're not but he. he like his style is, he's just doing that every single time. So, if you like Wes Anderson, you're probably gonna like all of his movies from like, like from like film to film. So, I feel like that's kind of the same thing for this, where this is just kind of Wes Anderson on steroids, right? Because he's taken all of his production design and and symmetrical framings <laughs> and, and <past> colors. <laughs> yeah, like he's just going all that to the max with this movie, and then, um, but. I was I was surprised too how much I liked it. So, um, but yeah, well, so I guess what did, what were some of the things you didn't like about it, or what didn't or what didn't work most
0: for you? Um, so I didn't like a lot of the dialogue. Like at times, it almost felt borderline mumblecore to me, where they're just like talking to talk. Um, and I think that's in particular in the uh, Timothy Chalamet segment with uh, uh Francis McDormand. Um, Which I I think is the one that thematically had some of the most interesting ideas Um, Because it's basically like just trying to look at the idea of like the rebellious youth like out there Protesting for causes they don't understand Um, Which I thought was really interesting Um, But so I I think the dialogue um, and I didn't I'm not a big fan of just the vignette style of movie in general Wes Anderson or no um, so I didn't like that disconnect, even if they're like in the newspaper somewhat connected by the end, um, they don't really have an impact on each other.
1: Um, yeah. they're so out. You're, so you're not a big you're not a big anthology guy? No, not for you.
0: unless it's Star Wars, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's I, the, the big I think the big critique i heard about this movie before going in was that it's just i don't know how to get emotionally involved in this and that's kind of seems what you're getting at too and i can certainly understand it because it's right it's the it's, um an anthology movie where it's three main stories and you have like a prologue kind of and then an epilogue at the end for the most part um and you have all these crazy like oh first of all amazing cast you have Sasha Ronan playing a character who's dubbed as junkie slash showgirl number one so that's kind of amazing when you have when you have that caliber of actor playing that role but um yeah so it's all these crazy stories that um journalists from the French Dispatch are writing about um but I was f- f- for one reason or another, I found it actually very moving because I think that's some of the things that some of the issues I have with Wes Anderson movies are that same idea where it's like, I don't really know what he's doing here. Like he's doing a lot of his own little sticks just to do it. But here I thought a lot of it was very moving, especially the Jeffrey Wright uh, section, which was the, the food one mm-hmm. at the end where there's, um, there's a, there's a few lines in there where he's, It's kind of like they get to the point where it's like, why do you do this? Like, why do you live this life? And he's just – or he's like, why do you love food so much? And he's just kind of like – I mean, he says it really loquaciously because everyone in this movie does. But he's basically like, I'm really lonely and food is like kind of the one solace I have in life. It's like the one thing that brings me comfort. I just thought that was just so thoughtful and it's just Jeffrey Wright saying it. So he's just amazing and he's – his character is gay and he just – he doesn't have – like, he basically is just a loner. He Like, all he has is the journal. And, that, I mean, that's all that, that these characters have. That's like all their all their lives are. So they're trying to figure out, like, trying to find some kind of meaning in what they do. So I just thought it was just so touching to see his story play out. But I think, I think probably you have, maybe you have this feeling where I feel like Wes Anderson is dressing that up in a lot of his Wes Anderson-y stuff. Where, like, people are, like, with him saying that I'm, Like, I'm sad. Like, they're saying it in, like, 10,000 different words that are all, like, many syllables long, you know? And, like, they're really making a point of being as, like, loquacious as possible. So um, I could totally see why it's not your bag. But there was just a lot of stuff in here that really really moved
0: me for whatever reason. Which was your favorite of the three um, story segments? Probably the Jeffrey Wright one, the food one at the end.
1: I just thought he's he, I think he is just such a soulful actor that like, you know, cause the thing for all Wes Anderson movies is that all the actors are really, they're just delivering their lines as robotically as possible and kind of just motor mouthing their way through all of these crazy lines. Um, but he is just like such a thoughtful and emotional actor where he can kind of cut through that a little bit and like still be that motor mouth kind of robotic guy, but bring a lot of heart to that as well. So I really like that, but I like them all, honestly. I thought they were all pretty funny. there's was one, one moment that really stuck out to me in the in the first one with um, the uh, Benicio do Toro painter in uh, in prison, where there's like a there's like a card that comes up and says three years later, and then he meets with Adrian Brody's character, and Adrian Brody's character goes, "Hey, it's three years later. What are we doing?" <laughs> I thought that was for whatever reason that really stuck with me. I was laughing really really hard when that happened, but. Um, I thought there was a lot of really fun little morsels to get from. I sound really douchey saying that, but <laughs> there was a lot of really fun things that I liked in a lot of these, um, and all of these stories that, that I thought were pretty thoughtful. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I think for me, my favorite was the artist one in the prison with, uh, Benicio and <laughs> Tony Revolori just like showing up for his little 32nd transformation. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It's just, it is really fun where
1: there's just amazing actors that just show up for two seconds and then they okay. leave. Bob Dylan
0: a... and Henry Winkler in that sequence. For yeah,
1: them, right? it's <laughs> really, really, really good. I think there's a there's a weird the one thing that I've never been able to reconcile with Wes Anderson movies is that he just like loves killing stuff, but being so like blasé about it. Where people would be like, oh yes, uh, I like French things. Then also I beheaded three people yesterday or whatever. Like it, like he he loves killing animals in his movies too. I don't think there's animal killing in this movie, but in a lot of his movies. Yeah, there's, there an, there's animals dying. Which one when, when was it?
0: Uh Tony Revolori killed something.
1: Oh, that's right. Uh, You're right. Well he, he loves killing it. An, he yeah. he loves killing animals. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing where I've never been able to be like, what are you what are you doing there? Like, what's the deal here? But I think it worked a little better with the Benicia del Toro character because that guy is just. I mean, it's like he's being dressed up in all this fanciful dialogue and whatnot. But he's just such a troubled guy who's like, I really don't know what to do with my life. And painting is kind of one of the one thing that actually makes me feel a little sane. And the fact that Adrian Brody's trying to profit off of it um, is really hurtful to him. So I feel like there's like a lot of. In a lot of these characters, there's a, like a lot of like depressive like really thoughtful ideas in them that are dressed up by like the Wes Anderson pastels and fanciful language. But I do think, and and some of it's moving by so fast that it's hard to catch up on it, but I do think that there's a lot of emotion in and underneath a lot of these characters and these stories. So,
0: Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. It's just not for me. Uh, I liked the, Dispatch liked
1: Willem, Will, Willem Defoe
0: in his, in his chicken coop. <laughs> For like two seconds, <laughs> um, I did like the animation sequence um, towards the end of the the police commissioner one. Uh, yeah, like that, that was that fun. Style of like mimicking like a New Yorker cartoon, uh, but making it into this moving animation.
1: Yeah, we should touch on how crazy the production design and also the art direction is in this movie. Because even for Wes Anderson, it's just it's outrageous. Like there's, I mean, all of like the matte paintings and drawings that he uses in his movies, which make like a weird surreal, like look to all of everything that happens in his movies. But then this movie, like he's even, he's switching between color and black and white, like all throughout this movie. And he uses it for some, in some really cool and interesting ways. I thought, and there's also like, he's a really, he's got those locked off shots where it's, you know, it's like very symmetrical, but there's been, there's a few moments, especially in the, uh, and the, the, the young revolting revolters section with Chalamet where he uses a little more handheld mm-hmm. stuff, which I thought was really interesting. I don't think I can't remember the last time I saw him use that in a movie. Uh, so I thought there was like a lot of really interesting designs that he was using and like neon lights and everything that I thought really kind of served a lot of the stories really well. I thought that was really, really cool, especially with the paintings, because you see the paintings like in like black and white and then like he. He presents it to you in color later on to get the full effect of it i just i thought there was a really like a lot of awesome choices that he made
0: i really like the character of lieutenant nescafe oh yeah the chef
1: i love the chef and especially that that's that, that last line where yeah. uh, bill mary bill Murray is like that's your story you got to keep that but that <laughs> that whole that whole line too where i don't want to ruin that one but he's basically like Wow, I never had I never felt this before in my life. That's kind of crazy. All the stuff I've ever all out of all the stuff I've ever like experienced and it, this it wasn't pleasant, but it was new and that's something. It was just wow. That was like really thoughtful. Um so yeah, it's just it's really good. Jason Schwartzman's also in there for 2 seconds. I mean, he's a he's a regular to all these movies, right? And so
0: Yeah, Wes Anderson does probably the best job of keeping his ensemble together like his his players show up for every movie even if it's just something like that where it's like two seconds and they're done like they're they're in everything
1: he loves like owen wilson too and like he has he has brody come in for every single movie yeah it's just i mean swinton is in a lot of his stuff too yeah it's really it's really crazy
0: yeah and all of them
1: yeah christoph waltz that was that that was fun for the five seconds he's not in a lot of his movies, but that was fun. I was like, oh, that was like one of the big surprises and he also has like three lines of dialogue that's really funny <laughs> so it's just I think there's just a lot of really fun stuff in here. I thought it was really charming and also heartfelt and i was I was so mesmerized by a lot of the images, but I also was found i found myself surprised at how emotional a lot of the the beats beats in it were so. I don't know. I thought this movie was great. I know you don't feel the same way, but
0: it's no up. eternals. You <laughs> know, <laughs> yeah, a Wes Anderson MCU movie. That'll be the day. Do you have a favorite <laughs> Wes Anderson movie? Is there one um, that you do really like? It's going to be really basic, but I'm going with grand Budapest.
1: Yeah, it's probably mine too. Honestly though, this is up there for me. Like this honestly, this might be one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. I really like this movie a lot. Um, but yeah, Grand Budapest is just outrageous. Ray, Ray, Ray Fiennes is one of my favorite comedic performances I've seen in the past forever. Honestly, it's so good.
0: Well, and I feel like Wes Anderson is a lot of people's first look into like indie or just non-blockbuster films because he is a name that carries a lot of recognition. Like even some of my friends that don't really care about movies, uh, were like, oh, I know who Wes Anderson is. So I'll go see all his stuff. So I feel like he is just an interesting go-between where he's really, I mean, he's not making tentpoles, but he's really well-known his movies generally are pretty well received. So yeah. It's. it's, it's
1: yeah. I mean, even like my parents too. like my mom is like, Oh, I can't wait for the new Wes Anderson movie. And she doesn't like, she doesn't see a lot of movies, but you know, she really likes him. And I mean, he's, a, he's an auteur, right? Like he has his for better or for worse, he has his style and he's going to bring that to every single one of his movies. And, I mean, obviously, it's it's there's a, like a lot of influences like Jacques Tati movies and a, a lot of other French French New Wave movies as well. But he he puts his own spin on it, and it's I mean, in this in this movie, he's just like he's going for it. It is like outrageous. Some of like the like the uh, like the cross cutting and like it's re- it's a relentless pace too. Like even with all like the dialogue, but things are moving so fast, and uh, there's like a couple of those funny. Sequences where they're doing the freeze frame, but all the actors are just holding their poses, (laughs) and you can see them like like hold like moving a little bit, but they're doing the they're trying to make the the freeze frame. But they do all these crazy extended sequences with that. Like he is just he must have storyboarded this movie like crazy because there are so many inventive camera tricks going on with it.
0: Yeah, tell you one thing, man knows how to direct.
1: he um, can shoot a movie he
0: he has made movies so i can't confirm <laughs> can't uh, confirm but yeah that is this week's episode of the movie Babble podcast uh next week we'll have the second ghostbusters flop in under a decade so yikes cool. wow. <laughs> wow king richard which should be pretty buzzy so uh we'll for sure be talking about those um, as always, you can check us out online at moviebabble.com, and we we'll be bet.